Inescapably foreign. Welcome to Without Borders. I'm your host, Nolan Yuma Jansons. If this is your first time tuning into the show, just know that this is the podcast for nomads, expats, immigrants, third culture children, or anyone else that feels inescapably foreign. You can access transcripts and a bunch of interesting articles at withoutborders.fyi. To hear, uh, today I'm here with Rosie van den Broek. Uh, now, I say it in Flemish because that's how Rosie and I are used to speaking to each other. Uh, she's actually my cousin's cousin, um, but she grew up in Belgium and she's been living in Ireland for how long now, Rosie? Almost 10 years. Almost 10 years. All right. Well, Bear, before we get into that, how are you doing today? I'm good. Yeah. Very excited to be here. It's almost Christmas time, but whenever people are listening to this, it may be after Christmas, but... I'm very excited finishing up the year, getting ready for the nice, yeah, glue wine, good food. So I'm doing good. Oh, glue wine. I haven't thought about that. I don't think it's a very popular drink here in Spain. Here in Spain, they tend to put ice <laughs> uh, in wine, make a like a, a tinto de verano, which is usually just red wine with a sugary um, carbonated water. That's uh, good too. Yeah, it's really good, but I do yeah. miss glue wine. Yeah, oh, I'll, I've been making it since November, so yeah. Oh, <laughs> nice. Uh, so Rosie, what have you been doing for work the past few years? So I currently work in a company called HubSpot. They're an online sales and marketing uh, SaaS platform, and I'm a customer success manager there. So I work with our Benelux customers. Um, so that's Belgium, Belgium, Netherlands, Luxembourg uh, customers. And I'm their strategic consultant. So yeah, I would help them how to build out their website, how to build a strong sales and marketing strategy, how they how to reach your goals. So that's what I've been doing for the last five and a half years. Awesome. And was it difficult to get into to get or find work as a Belgian person in Ireland or honestly really easy, especially because of the languages that I have. So I speak obviously Dutch and then a little bit of French um, and then obviously English as well. So honestly in Ireland, because it's like the, the capital of Europe for tech companies, it's super easy to find work here if you speak Dutch. Um, so I did start off in like a sales role, but sales is not at all my strength. So I very fast realized that customer success is more my thing. Ah, uh, okay. okay. And um, I guess the immigration process, there, there was almost none, right? Because you're European. Yeah, exactly. So it's really easy because Ireland is also part of the EU. So like, it's really easy to come work here. Um, I, I will say that the most difficult thing to get is a, a bank account. Because in order to get a bank account, you need to have a bill. But in order to get a bill, you need to have a bank account. So it's a little bit of a vicious circle. So that was probably the most challenging thing, getting into Ireland and, and getting set up. Um, but other than that, it's super easy. Yeah, there's a well, huge expat community here. Awesome. And does it seem like people, well, you're in Dublin, right? Uh, I'm in Wicklow, actually. Oh, south of Dublin. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, are people pretty open there to expats and yeah. foreigners? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say, though, I think about 10 years ago when I first moved here, it was not as, like, the expat community wasn't as huge yet. It was kind of like starting off. And like today, it's really like you, you have such a big mix of different races, different cultures here in, in Dublin, but also in Ireland, actually. Um, people are super kind, super friendly. So it's 
a really easy place to to call home. Okay, nice. Well, when when did you come to Canada? Because that was around the time that you first moved to Ireland, right? I think that was a year into it or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, nine years ago. I was in Canada, but yeah, nine years ago, pretty but much to the day. Even then, I remember you just loved Ireland. Like it seemed like you fell in love with it right away. And a lot of people who I know who fall in love with the country right away, after two, three years, they kind of have a different opinion. Yeah. Um, but then we spoke again a couple of years after, and you still seemed com- completely enamored by Ireland. Yeah. Uh, what about now? I still absolutely love it. Ireland really is my home. If I think about Belgium, Belgium is where my roots are, but it's not home. It's where my family is, but it's not home for me. Ireland is really where I make my home. So I still absolutely love it. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a weird thing because I literally, I think I was here about a day or two days and I rang my mom and I told her, this is it. I found my place. I'm going to stay in Ireland. And I literally did. And I, I think it's also because, well, I never really felt at home in Belgium just because me and my mom, we moved around like nine, ten times, I think, between like me being three years old until like I was 18. Though I never really had a home base in Belgium. And then when I moved to Ireland, it felt like something clicked. And yeah, that's it. Okay. Yeah, I, I guess that's something that we have in common. Like, of course, I also have many Belgian roots. Um, but I don't know if I've ever found a place that just clicked with me yet. I'm, I'm still searching. Or I don't even know if I'm searching. I'm just moving. <laughs> I think you'll know when you know. It, yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's an exciting part or, or thing to be like, I lived in Paris as well for a year. And even though I loved Paris to go and visit for tourism, I thought, oh, I'm going to live in Paris. It's going to be a dream come true. And I absolutely hated it. It was to the contrary. And then when I moved to Ireland, I actually was afraid because I still liked Ireland to go, you know, for holidays. And I, I was afraid that the same would happen, that I would move to Ireland and that I would hate it after a while. And thank God it didn't turn out yeah. that way. Uh, so what didn't you like about Paris? <laughs> um, <laughs> pretty much everything. Uh, no, no, that's a lie. I still really love Paris. Um, I think Paris is a great culture. Um, but when you live there, you see a whole different side of the city than when you actually are there on a on a journey or or to travel. Like, and we... it's just important to specify you're fluent yeah. in French, right? I was at the time. I'd say I'm still good at French, but the English has taken over that part of my brain. Okay. So I'd say I'm still good, but not super fluent. But anymore. at the time that you went, you spoke fluent French. Because yeah. obviously that affects your experience in Paris yes. as well. No, that's true. And I, I did live with French people. Um, I went to school with all French people. I did work with French people. I literally spoke French all the time. It's just Parisians really live to work. And that's it. They work from 8 o'clock in the morning to 8 o'clock in the evening. The subways are horrible because you're literally in peak time traveling. Oh, God, it was just horrible. So, no, Ireland is way more relaxed than laid back. Yeah, I had a discussion about that with a previous guest, well, one of my best friends, Keaton Jackson. And he mentioned that about the work culture as well, that even though North America has a very intense work culture, and uh, well, we didn't really specify it, but... We did talk about that there's more of an entrepreneurial spirit in in um, North America or in Canada than in than in France. But he also mentioned the long work hours. But yeah. part of that is because you also have such a long lunch break. 
in France. That's true. Two hours easily. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so true. Yeah. And did you like the two-hour lunch break or? I honestly didn't because, I mean, like you're in the middle of Paris. I was on an internship, so we were paid about like 200 euros a month. So with like 200 euros a month, you can't really like go dine every lunch break. So no, to make a lunch break wasn't like ideal for me. Um, but also because I wanted to like go home because I was part-time studying, part-time working. So I still had a lot of work to do. So yeah, no, I think I'd rather am efficient than take a two-hour lunch break. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and what about compared to Belgium and Ireland? Because that's one of the things that I think makes Belgium stand apart from a lot of other uh, European countries is the entrepreneurial spirit. Um, like often when I have guests on the show that have lived in North America and then they go traveling around, they mention that they kind of miss or at least they notice how much more of this entrepreneurial spirit there is in North America. But that is definitely not the case in Belgium. I find that in Belgium, like, People are go-getters there, and yeah. there is so much business. And what I like about the business in Belgium is that it's it's not all corporate-type business like in North America. There's a yeah. lot more local business. How do you feel about that? That is true. I think because Belgium is such a small country, it's so important that it works well cohesively between all different industries uh, and, and the small country that it is with like the 12 million people who live in Belgium. Like just to just give you the idea, Belgium is a fourth of the size of Ireland, but it's 12 million people where Ireland is four times bigger than Belgium, but only has four million people. So it's like, it's, it's a big difference, right? And I think, I think the culture in Belgium when it comes to work is, it, it is a little bit similar to North America where we are, like we are go-getters. We are very efficient. We like structure. Um, but also we're not like the French where you've got like the rouvoyé and you have to be super polite. Like it's a little bit different in Belgium. Now, it's not as, as relaxed as the Dutch. So the Dutch are way more relaxed, super open-minded, where the Belgians do have more structure than the Dutch. And I think that's a very important difference to realize when you work with both Belgian and Dutch customers. Because even though they're so similar, they are very different at the same time. Okay, well, that that's interesting because um, I looked something up beforehand and I kind of had the, uh, I found the opposite information when it comes to Belgians and Dutch people. That, well, both are very uh, business-minded um, and both are very um, into structure to a sense, but what I read is that Belgians have more of a hatred towards government <laughs> and that kind of leads to more distrust towards rules, which then in return leads to more mending of the rules. So you find that's not the case. You find Dutch people might be more likely to mend the rules than Belgians or. It depends. It depends. No. Okay. I'll definitely say Belgians are distrusting of governments and politics and stuff like that. Like we didn't have a government for two, three years, I think like about a decade ago. So we really like, we're distrusting in that regards. But when it comes to business, I think 
Belgians are very straightforward. When we want something, we know what we want and we'll, and like that's it. Like there's no discussion, like this is what we want, you give it to us. Where the Dutch are more like open for conversation, they want to build a relationship, they want to have not just like a relation with like the product, but also the people who make the product. And so I think that's a little bit different where for Belgians, it doesn't matter who they speak with on a monthly basis, as long as the product works. Maybe that's where you are right in saying that they are distrusting in people because it doesn't really matter for them. Well, that's another thing that's interesting about Belgians and just Belgian in general, Belgium in general. It's such a multicultural country, right? Well, especially Brussels. I mean, it's the capital of Europe in a sense, right? And you have people from all around there. And when you go to Brussels, everyone you meet usually speaks at least four languages. Yeah, that's true. Right? Um, yeah. But then on the flip side, you also have a lot of racism and xenophobia in Belgium. And one thing that I read is that it could stem from, like, stem historically, that there's just a mistrust from foreigners because there's been so much foreign rule in Belgium, yeah. especially the Spaniards, and yeah, um, that it could stem from that. Like, it's just in the roots. No, though. It's a tough thing to say, right? Because nobody wants to be seen as a racist. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a very tough conversation. It's a very sensitive topic, I think, but... It is true, if you look at the history of Belgium, we've been ruled by the French, by the Vikings, by the Spanish, by uh, the English, by the Germans more recently. Um, And it is true that we're not super open-minded. Now, I don't want to generalize either. But, yeah, I'd say, like, for the most part, it is true that the Belgian culture as it is, people do want to fight for that, like the local Belgians, like... But then even within Belgium, we would be very... There, there is a different difference between the Flemish and the Walloon. So the Flemish speak Dutch, the Walloon speak French. And even though we're one country, and we will probably always stay one country because both parts of the country need each other to survive, there still is a very big difference. And like the Flemish are proud to be Flemish, the Walloon are proud to be Walloons. Um, yeah... It's a tough question to answer. <laughs> now, now that you've been out of Belgium for a while and someone asks you, like, do you, well, you mentioned that your roots are in Belgium. Do you still yeah. feel like you're part Belgian or do you feel more part Vlaming, part Flemish? Uh, uh, no, I would always first say I'm Belgian. And then if people ask, like, where exactly from Belgium I'm from, I would say Flemish, so Dutch speaking. No, I would definitely say Belgian. And also because, I mean... A lot of the best beer comes from the southern part of Belgium, where it is in the Walloons. So I don't want to say I'm only Flemish, because, again, beer is very important. Uh, so, yeah. Well, I, I agree with you as well. Um, <laughs> I'm not a separatist <laughs> in uh, any way. Uh, but, I mean, I, there's sides of my family, which actually you're a family too, in a whole way. Yeah. Uh, that are a little bit more separatists. <laughs> I know. Um, it's a different generation, though, I think. I think it's, it's the generation of our, our parents are more separate separatists. Or, like, they, they prefer to say, I'm Flemish or I'm Walloon, where our generation, I think we're more together. Like, we've got more that open-minded vision. Okay, well, aside from... Our cousins, um, I don't know too many people, so that's that's good to know. That's yeah. refreshing. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely think, I think it's an interesting one, because if you look historically, our grandparents were those that grew up during the World War, right? Mm-hmm. 
And like the Second World War really had a big impact in Belgium because Belgium was really the center, like the epicenter of the war. The war. Um, so there was a lot of fair food, like there wasn't, like it just wasn't a great lifestyle. And I think so our grandparents, even though they were kids when this was happening, they gave their fears, their mentality of we have to be careful and scarce with the food. They gave that to our parents. Our parents are still raised in that mentality of, you know, we have to like protect what we have. We have to like protect the family. And I think that's where that they're not super open-minded for other people because they saw so recently in their history, like what happens, you know, with, with unfortunately, like the Germans taking over where our generation were like the next generation after that. We don't have that direct relation with the second world war or that culture that came with that. And I think we're more traveled as well. Like we've got all those means and media to connect us on a more global level. Yeah. Those are some really good points. Um, and then, well, uh, I'll, I all of a sudden kind of had a, an, um, a notion towards your political orientation or how you feel towards Belgium by saying just one simple sentence. You said uh, the North relies on the South and the South relies on the North, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas separatists <laughs> would more likely to say um, the South relies on us, right? All our tax money goes to helping the South and we're the ones leaving the money. It shouldn't be that way. And I talked about this. On- to South. They're the farmers. They've got all the goods. You know, we need to eat. They've got the food. Yeah. And the beer. Yeah. Forget about the beer. Exactly. And and that's current. And then, of yeah. course, times always change. Um, yeah. There was a time when the South was the rich part of Belgium. True. True. All the castles. Yeah. The elite of the old Belgians lived in the South. Exactly. Well, we, I touched on this with um, uh, Silvio in a previous episode as well. And then we kind of, well, I mentioned that I met someone and he told me that he identifies more as a a Vlaming, Flemish, as Belgian, right? And then I thought, ooh, (laughs) all of a sudden, right? Um, Well, I'm always open to different views. But then it changed all of a sudden. He said, well, to be honest, I actually don't feel neither. I feel European. And then I was like, ah, okay, this doesn't sound so separatist anymore. And his idea was that to have something more like the United States, the United States of Europe, where all these autonomous regions would be separate, right? Like got the Lonia here in Spain, the Basque Land here in Spain. Yeah. Um, I mean, France has countless examples like that too, Belgium. And what would happen if all these regions like split apart but they were all unified as Europe. What do you think about that? Because I I don't know how I feel about it yet. I'm still just discussing it and exploring the idea. I think it's a great question. I'm not a fan of it. And I'll tell you why. Um, I think it's just the beauty of Europe that we do work as a European Union, but we keep our individual governments, cultures, money, and in some countries, at least like we have the euro in a lot of countries, but they're still like, a lot of countries that have their own like currencies. Um, I think it's the beauty of it that they stay true to their own culture, to to who they are. Um, and I think if we would open it up to one united Europe, we'd lose a lot of that local culture. And not just that, I think even financially, it just doesn't work. We saw it like when we rolled out to Euro, everything became more expensive. There was like the European crisis, like 
it was a bit crazy and I think I think yeah no I'm not a big fan of it I I, I like when sometimes like sometimes it's good to let things be because they're beautiful the way how they are we don't always have to change things and become more global it's sometimes nice to maintain each each own's like individuality definitely well I, I think the reason that this person mentioned having like the, U, the United States of Europe is because there are always these conflicts about locality within the countries, right? Like in Belgium, the yeah. people's arguing, oh, why does our money go here? Here in Spain, now a lot of Catalonians arguing like we make more money than people in the rest of Spain. Um, and well, there are other identity issues there as well, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. made way more complex than that. Um, but... I think the idea was that in that these issues um, might not happen if they are separate, right? But w where does it end? Because especially in Belgium, right, you have Blandere, and then yeah. you go there, and then you have, uh, I guess you wouldn't say racism, but you have, like, hatred between the people from Antwerp compared to the people from West Flanders. True, we've got like a different accent, even in Flanders. Like, my stepmom is from the west of Flanders, and like, when my dad first brought her home, me and my brothers didn't understand her, like, we didn't know what she was saying because her accent was like so strong, it was crazy. And like, she's Flemish, we're Flemish, you know, like, why could we not understand her? And I mean, it's cool at the same time, it's like unique, you know, yeah. I know that that's something that makes me feel proud to have Belgian yeah. heritage. That's why I'm not like I'm vlogging. I'm I'm so proud of the fact that we have yeah. so many different dialects from sometimes street to street. Yeah. Um, but also the fact that we have different dialects from street to street kind of shows that you can't just keep breaking down and separating because where does it end? That's it. It, it that's ends cool. kind of in this Fine. archaic idea of kingdoms, right? And I mean, yeah. come on, we're not going to go back to that. Oh, that's uh, it. And like, honestly, people will always find something to complain about. So let's find the beauty in the nice things instead of breaking something that works. Yeah. You know, celebrate the good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, wait, just, just to tie something back into what we were talking about earlier. And that, that was with the, the, the Belgians and the Dutch. Oh, um, I have some notes here, but first I just want to ask you, because you're someone that deals with international clients, right? Yes. And you have to talk to a lot of people. So how often do you get mistaken for a Dutch person? Like in work, when, so whenever we like chat on Slack, so we use Slack internally, people always think based on my name that I'm Dutch. And it's not that I get offended, but I, got, I do get a little bit offended because I'm so proud to be a Belgian. And I'm like, no, I'm Belgian. I'm unique to be Belgian. So, like, don't think I'm Dutch. I'm different, you know? Um, and then when people, like, when I actually get on Zoom calls with my customers, I tell you, every single time I speak with a Dutch customer and I'm, like, introducing myself, I'm like, hi, I'm Rosie. I'm from Belgium. Straight away they say, oh, yes, we hear, you know, your cute, adorable accent. You're Flemish. It is so funny. It's so funny. Like, the Dutch love me. They love my accent. It's so funny. And it's nice, actually. But I don't think, I think, as Belgians, and I will say this honestly, we laugh at Dutch quite often because we think that their accent is really funny. And it is funny. So, sorry for any Dutch people listening. Um, I think having a Flemish accent works in my advantage. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think... 
<laughs> and sorry to all the Dutch people listening right now. By the way, my um, I have many Dutch friends and everything, but it's just a neighboring country kind of victory back and forth. But like Dutch people, it sounds different, right? Because you have the exactly. and like exactly. <laughs> Belgian people don't do that. That's the thing. We speak more like soft. We're more soft spoken, honestly. But also, I will say this because I'm probably one of the only Belgians in HubSpot and like Ireland because Belgians don't really tend to travel a lot. If you look at the expat community, the Dutch are everywhere. Belgians are very rare to find. So I have to stand my floor. Like I really have to be strong as the only Belgian in the office to be strong against all the Dutch because the Dutch like slagging me too, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, okay. That's really interesting because, well, Rosie, you're the only Belgian backpacker I've ever met. And... <laughs> Um, I was looking some psychological reasons for that, and it turns out that one of the major differences between Belgian and Dutch people is that Belgian people have higher uncertainty avoidance. And uh, what what that means is that they're more likely to avoid things that are uncertain to them, right? So obviously, yeah. when you're backpacking, you have to be someone that can just go with the flows. You, you can't always just be prepared, right? Yeah. Like, um, you can't always just do everything in advance. Whereas, like, Belgian people, when they travel, if they travel, because they don't travel as much as the Dutch, uh, everything has to be pre-planned, everything has yeah. to be prepared, and that's yeah. why you don't see Belgian backpackers, and you see Dutch backpackers everywhere. So true, so true. And I, I will say, I'm guilty for that as well. Like, whenever I do travel, I plan everything. And I try to, I, I really try to like leave room for, you know, impromptu ideas, but I do really plan a lot of things. Um, so I, 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 I can totally relate to that Belgian aspect. However, it is true. And it's a bit sad. Like in Ireland, the Belgian community is very, very small. Like maybe there's a few hundred people in Ireland who are Belgian. And it's, it's a bit sad, you know, because you do want to relate sometimes to people back from back home because you do have similar culture. Um. But yeah, I I do remember when we were backpacking, it was, we were the rare people. Everyone thought we were Dutch and we're like, no, we're Belgian. <laughs> and so everyone was like, whoa, like, you know, Belgians who travel and like travel abroad. <laughs> it's true. And, and, and Belgians are homebirds. Even yes. Uh, like, there's a good expression. Um, uh, oh my God. Uh, I'll translate it for the listeners. That means, uh. <laughs> Born with a brick in your stomach, because if you've ever been yeah. to Belgium, you'd know that it's full of bricks, right? Uh, that... Full of bricks, literally. But also, people buy the plot of land next to your parents and then build a house there next to your parents. It's crazy. It's so crazy. I'm like, no, I want to have wings. I want to travel the world. I want to explore. But like a lot of Belgians, a lot of my family still, they're kind of expecting me to come back home to Belgium. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, guys, I've been gone for over 11 years. I'm like, Ireland is my home. I bought a house here. I've got dogs here. My partner is Irish. Like, but they're still expecting me to come back to Belgium. It's so weird. It, well, yeah. Where do you think that stems from? Because I've thought a little, a little bit about it and I've done some research into it. Um, but Belgians are a little bit more like Southern Europeans in that sense, where family values are very high and that people don't move away from their families. 
right? That's kind of yeah. been a part of my identity crisis um, throughout uh -huh. life. I'm kind of over it now, but actually <laughs> I'm, my parents still battle with it sometimes because they left and no one else did because it's just not that common. Yeah. Um, and then even though like Dutch people and Belgian people share a language, we do have some cultural similarities. Uh, Dutch people are more likely to move away than than Belgian people. And I wonder if part of that is, well, the Spanish rule in, in Belgium at historically at some point or the Catholic roots versus more of the Protestant roots. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Honestly, I... I wouldn't really know. Like, I wouldn't. Yeah, I really don't know. I think we definitely have a very strong family culture. Um, if I look at my my Dutch colleagues or Dutch friends here, I think they're like fine with their family, but they don't really care if they celebrate Christmas like at home with their family or if they are in New Zealand traveling. Yeah. Like, that's kind of the impression I get from them, where I think in Belgium, and even if I look at my family, they're all having Christmas with the families, you know, even my brother, he recently sold his house and bought a new house in the street of his parents-in-law just so they could literally be five houses away from from my my sister-in-law's parents so they can be closer with the kids. All her sisters live in the neighborhood and their kids are all going to be like living together. So I think family is a big thing for Belgium. Like, and yeah. what's it like in Ireland? Because that actually might rule out oh. the, the Catholic influence idea. I, in Ireland, is it also very family oriented? Yeah. Yes. Irish mommy. Catholic thing. Yeah. Irish mommies are, it, this is cliche. And maybe it is actually true. Yeah. Belgium is also more Catholic, Roman Catholic. Ireland, for sure, is Roman Catholic. <laughs> Irish mommies are the heroes in the families here. Like, Irish mommies rule the family. They really do. And Families here in Ireland stay together. They go through everything together. They're there for each other. Now that I'm like dating an Irish man, I'm in their family, even though a lot of his family lives in, in America because they all emigrated back in the 70s um, to New York, New Jersey. But even them, they're one week into dating Matthew. They're all like semi friend requests on Facebook. All the uncles wanted to talk to me. Like family is a big thing in Ireland. And actually, I like that. I really, really like that. And maybe it's also the reason why I'm happy to stay here is because I am part of an Irish family now. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. And I guess as a Belgian person, it might just be something that you're you're drawn to as well. Kind of a strange, uh, a strange? juxtaposition, though, because as a Belgian yeah. person, you're attracted to being in a culture that's very family-orientated, but you also had to leave your family and move away to... yeah. But that's interesting because even for people who don't know me, uh, who are listening, so my parents are divorced when I was three years old. So I always lived with my mom. And even though, like, I went to my dad, like, few weekends here and there and, like, my two half-brothers, we're not that close. Maybe that's something that I was looking for. And maybe that's also something I really like about Ireland is the fact that their family culture is so strong mm -hmm. and that I'm part of, like, my boyfriend's family. It's really nice and amazing. So maybe... Maybe we, we actually discovered something there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there are a lot of similarities between Belgiums and uh, or Belgium and Ireland. I mean, both are super rainy as well. Yeah. Um, both are rather small, even though Belgium is smaller, as you pointed out earlier. Yeah. Um, what are some of the main differences? Like, what are some of the, well, 
yeah, tell me some of the differences that attracted you to Ireland and then maybe some of the differences that were a little bit more difficult to acculturate to. Yeah. Acculturate to, sorry. That's a good question. I think on surface, Irish people are super friendly, super welcoming. Literally, you walk around in Dublin City, you're holding like a map trying to find your way around. Within two seconds, an Irish person will come up to you and ask like, hey, can I help you? Are you looking your way? Like, where do you need to go? The Irish people are super friendly, super welcoming. But on the flip side, it's really hard to build strong friendships with Irish people. Because, and I think it's because they all grew up in their community. They're super close with their families, with their friends. They already have their friendships since they were little toddlers. And then for me as an expat to come in to that, it's really hard to break into a friend group that already exists. So what you see here in Dublin or in Ireland is that expats make friends with expats. And so you've got a lot of expat communities, but unfortunately a lot of expats quite often leave after a few years. So you have to say goodbye to your friends. So I think that's still honestly for me the biggest struggle is to build friendships with Irish people in Ireland, even though I'm here 10 years and even though I'm dating an Irish man. Interesting, because when I came to visit you in Ireland, we hung out with mostly Irish people, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And that was because of your dancing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So because I was part of the community, I was part of the dance community. We did swing dancing, blues dancing. You're part of their, the family there. And it was so much fun for years. I was part of like a big friend group, big dancing family. But the moment I stopped dancing, I never heard from him again. And it's a really sad, honest truth, but I am not in touch with anyone from the dancing community. And it's really sad. And it's literally the one thing that held us together was every week we go dancing together. And the moment you stop, there's nothing in common anymore. Isn't it sad? Yeah, that is sad. But why did you stop? Huh. That's a story for another time. Um, But I think the short version of that is because I was organizing a lot of these dance events I was teaching as well, a lot of the responsibility was put on me and it took away the pleasure of just attending a social dance event. And so I think the joy of it just disappeared because it was replaced by responsibility. Uh, Sorry to hear that. Well... Do you still dance a little bit for fun? Or... Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Well, you taught me three dance moves that I still use all the time because they're still the only three <laughs> dance moves I know, especially when it comes to swing. <laughs> but you, you taught me one that looks kind of complicated. So I do that one. And then everyone thinks I can dance. <laughs> but but that's can't. All... <laughs> but it's all you need. You just need the confidence and like a few moves and you're good. Like, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. Anyone who wants to learn how to dance, come to Rosie. <laughs> yes. Now, oh, well, I'm sorry that you're not part of that community anymore because um, they kind of fulfilled the best parts of Irish stereotypes for me. <laughs> because when we went to Inish Bofin, right? Yeah, Inish yeah, Inish Bofin. Yeah. Um, but for the listeners who don't know, because most people don't know, it's a little island off the coast of Galway. Um, and whenever I mentioned that I went there, then... I can immediately kind of form, well, a bit of a friendship, or I get a little bit of a spark from an Irish person because they're like, oh, wow, this guy just didn't just go to the mainstream places. We went to like this little tiny island. Yeah. With a hundred sheep and five people. (laughs) One pub. (laughs) One pub. And (laughs) well, your friends didn't, but we came so unprepared. We didn't have any food. So I just survived off Guinness. 
uh, because there was just a pub there with not much food. So I just had to drink Guinness and well, kill Kenny once in a while. Yeah, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I remember we went actually drinking in Dublin the night before. We had to pack within five minutes because my friends was picking us up to drive over to Galway. I don't know if you remember. And then yeah, yeah, we had like a sleeping bag, maybe one pair of clothes. Did we have like gummy boots or something? I don't know. Like, I don't even think we had the boots. <laughs> we were so unprepared. Luckily, someone had a tent that we could sleep in. Like, it was yeah. fun. It was a lot of fun. Oh, it was incredible. Yeah. And then just to return to the Irish stereotypes, was all of them were such good storytellers. All of them could sing. All of them could dance. Music. Yeah. And it was just really like this joyous atmosphere and and loud, joyous, like yeah. salt, the idea. Yeah, um, we're all sitting around the bonfire on the cliffs. All the tents were like on the, set on the cliff of the islands. And like, we're all just like singing, dancing, drinking beer, telling stories. That's true. Like it actually is, that's like how the local Irish do it. Those who don't live in a big city, you know, those who live on the countryside. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. It was actually really great. Oh, I know. It was yeah, still one of the better experiences of my life, one of the better trips. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then at the time, I was still used to calling you Yoka. True. A little bit. Yeah. So let, let's get into that. Um, well, Yoka, <laughs> how, how do you spell it? You spell it like joke. J-O-K-E. No. Yeah. So, when you live in Belgium or in Flanders, it is fine because it's a very typical Dutch and Belgian or Flemish name. But the moment I started traveling, people literally looked at me and they said, Joke? Huh? Who are you? I remember going, traveling to America, and the guy at the passport control, the American guy, literally looked at my passport, started laughing, <laughs> laughing. Oh my God, I was so embarrassed. And he's like, oh. This is not a name. I was like, it is the name. I was like, no. I was like, yes. Like, my parents named me Yoka. Like, joke. Yeah. It was horrible, honestly. And, like, applying for jobs in Ireland, nobody replied. I'm serious. Like, I sent my CV out. But, of course, like, they see it as joke. Like, who is applying for a job? It's a joke. You know? Yeah. So, it really didn't work. And even when I lived in, in Paris a year before, people had difficulties pronouncing it. They were like... Jock, Jack, and then I became Jack. I was like, well, I'm, I'm a girl. I'm not a boy. <laughs> so um, I asked my mom, and my mom used to sing me a song when I was a, a younger. It's uh, about little Rosanne. And so it's a song about Rosanne and giving her roses. And so I thought about that, and I always really liked the song. So I said, okay, what about Rosanne? But Rosanne isn't, is still not very international. So I was like, Rosie. And as soon as I said Rosie, I felt like, yeah, I'm a Rosie. Rosie sounds good. So I started like using it amongst like friends, you know, playing around with it, seeing like I also sent like the same CV, by the way, this is interesting. Same CVs that I sent to the previous companies, changed my name, I got replies. Wow. So, From the vast majority of them? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's really interesting. interesting thing. Yeah. So I mean, honestly, poor people, like, there's a huge part of Indians in Dublin. Like, I feel for them if they do not change their names, for example, because apparently I can say, like, it still clearly impacts. Anyway, so um, people started, like, calling me Rosie. But then it was weird when I had to, like, 
people will name me Rosie, but I had to sign my employment contract under Yoka. So it was like difficult there, you know? So I, I decided, no, you know what? I'm going to change it. I love Ireland. I'm clearly going to stay in Ireland. I'm going to change my name officially. And so I did. But if as a Belgian you want to change your first name, you need to write a letter to the king of Belgium to ask for his permission to change your name. I'm serious. Oh, yeah. Bye. Sometimes I forget we had a king because <laughs> it's such a joke in Belgium. Uh, here, continue. But I just have a quick, quick digression here about the king because the way that Belgians think about their king is completely different than in England. Yeah. Uh, it's just a big joke for us. Like I remember when uh, we had to get our passports renewed in in Canada, there was a flying consulate because there's not a consulate in Vancouver, so we had to come from forget if it was Toronto or Montreal. Wow. First hilarious thing is that they were set up in the back of a chocolate factory in Vancouver. <laughs> so we go through the chocolate factory in the back to see the consulate. And then, um, you know, the, the picture of the king has to be in the consulate room. And she just, it was even hung up. It was just like on the ground, uh, yeah. like behind a chair. He's like, 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 do I need to hang this up? <laughs> and we're like, no, don't worry about it's it. It's fine. Like, yeah, he's here. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, anyway, now that the listeners know, have a little bit more context about the king. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. The king, literally, it's like just a ceremonial thing in Belgium. It's nothing more than that. Yeah. Although I think a lot of us are still quite trying to be a kingdom, honestly. I think it's like this thing, you know, that we are like, oh, we don't want to pay the tax to the king. But we actually do like the fact that there is a king. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. I think so I think so. What 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 makes you say that? I mean, we celebrate like King's Day. We go and visit like the royal household and and you know the the castle in Lacke. I think I think we're like we're just not happy to pay for for example the the further family members of like the royal household like those who really don't do anything but, like the king. In case of like a crisis, in case of the fact that we don't have a government, the king will be in charge and will actually like make sure that the country still like runs. Yeah. You know? So I think, I think it's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but sorry, just uh, I kind of uh, thought of like a different tangent there. So you had no, to write a letter to the king. Yes, and... exactly. And then I got a, a reply from the king saying, you know, yes, all right, I will approve you to change your name because I had to, you know, explain it. And I said, look. Yoka is a pretty name in Flanders, but like, honestly, in Ireland, they all laugh at me because they think I'm a joke. I literally wrote it like that. And the king was like, fine. I don't even know if he read it or like secretary read it, but like, yeah. I got a reply from the king, you know, with a signature. So it's really cool. Um, so I changed it officially. And then, fun story, the second time I went back to America, I went back through passport control in Ireland. I know you have to like do like your fingerprints and like your eye thing. It's all for security. And the guy's like... You were here last time under a different name. And I'm like, yeah, do you have on record what my name was? And he looks at it, it starts laughing. And it's like, ah, but he's like, I get it, you go on. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. Oh, so the process was pretty easy then? or It was about six months, you know, because your birth certificate has to be changed. All your paperwork and documents have to be changed. Also in Ireland, then you have like your your personal tax number, all the cards. Everything needed to be changed, but yeah, now that everything is changed, it's fine. I think it was maybe a year of running around and, and getting all the paperwork done, translated as well for Ireland. 
Oh, so it did take a year. Yeah. Oh, that's not easy then. Okay. That, that's a process. Yeah, it is a process. Yeah. Okay. And how does your family feel about it now? My mom's side of the family is more open-minded. They call me both. They call me Rosie Yoko. Okay. So, like, it works. Like, even my grandma, she writes in the Christmas cards, Rosie Yoko. So, it's, like, it's cute. They do, like, both, you know? Um, my dad's side of the family, no. Very stoic. Very stubborn. And I'm still Yoko. What do our cousins call you? So, but, but, listeners, I think I mentioned this at the beginning, but yeah. Rosie's my cousin's cousin. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, so I think Louis and Flor still call me Yoko when they talk about me, like in Belgium. But when they were here with my boyfriend, they do try and say Rosie, because obviously Mati knows me as Rosie. He also knows that my name was Yoko before. Um, but so when they're here, they try and like really be like, oh, Rosie, Rosie, you know, but you can see that it's not like it doesn't come natural. Yeah. Um, but my best friends, though, so I've got two really good friends in Belgium. I also went backpacking with them, and we explored Ireland together. Oh, okay, so there are three we Belgian three. backpackers yeah. in the world then. Yeah, <laughs> three, three of us. So they actually are very cool to call me Rosie, and they've pretty much the day that I changed my name, they also changed it. They super respected it, and they call me Rosie, and it's really, really cool from them. Yeah, so right. it's a bit of a mix, I'd say. Nice. Yeah. Um, all right. So anything else that you want to touch on when it comes to your identity that makes you feel Irish now? Well, also for me, I, we haven't spoken in quite a while and I'm sitting here with a big smile because I just <laughs> love hearing your Irish accent. Do I have an Irish accent? A little bit. Like some, some of the words, they come out and I'm like, oh yeah, that's Irish. <laughs> I love it. I mean, full disclosure, I don't know if you remember, but when I first moved to Ireland, my English was shit. Absolutely shit. It barely existed. In school, I know in Belgium we learned English. I always failed all my exams in English. I hated English. Oh. So, like the fact that I... I didn't know because we spoke Flemish amongst each other, like between each other, so... Yeah. No, like, honestly, I hated English. And then when I moved to Ireland, people were like, are you serious? You're going to, like, an English-speaking country. I have to say, I lived with an Irish family first, for, like, the first year. And, like, the first few months, I was sitting at their dinner table. I did not understand a word what I said. But the Irish accent is very strong. It's different than the British English that we learn in school. Um, yeah, I'm happy that. I have a little bit of an Irish twang. I think I learned a lot being here in Ireland. Well, I would assume so. But so was it easier for you to learn French than it was uh, English? Yeah. That's weird because um, Flemish and and English are the two. Or like Flemish is the language that's most closely related to English uh, structurally and everything. They have the closest relationship. Although um, my boyfriend, he's struggling learning Flemish. <laughs> uh, okay, but of course, both English and Flemish also have loan words from France yeah. uh, or fr yeah. uh, French words. I okay. think I, I definitely do not generalize because I think most Belgians find it easier to learn English than French mm -hmm. because we have a lot of English on television, radio, stuff, stuff like that. It's just for some reason the way how my brain works is very structured, and French is structured. You learn the rules, you apply the rules, it's always the same. Where the teachers I had in school for English, they were like, oh, English, you feel it. And if you don't feel it, you know, it probably isn't right. But I'm like, I don't feel anything. Like, what? I, was, I just 
didn't understand English. I really didn't. Even now, sometimes I say something to Matthew and he looks at me. And I'm like, did I say something weird? <laughs> like, I definitely didn't say something. Like, we've got amazing expressions in Dutch. And so one expression that I really like saying is, I fell with my ass in the butter. Is it say it in Flemish? I don't know if I've heard it. Ik fell met my kat in the boter. I don't think I've heard that one. Okay. Also, what does that mean? It means that like you're super lucky. You know, like if you fell with your ass in the butter, you're super lucky. But Matthew's like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. So sometimes they do translate literally and it doesn't make any sense. Isn't there a good English expression for being that lucky? You know? Because in, in Spanish, you have one with the butt too. Uh, oh, yeah. Tienes un flor en el culo. Which means you have a flower in your butt. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Me too. <laughs> love it. I actually have a nice one. And uh, yeah, I'll think about that one. But like, you know, in Ireland or like something that they do a lot is, for example, like they, they say it's ground. Everything is ground. Oh, yeah. So yeah. yeah. It's interesting because everything is ground. You know, the Irish are very relaxed, very like laid back. But then if something is wrong... You don't know because they still say it's ground. Oh, really? You know, and so it's really hard to to know. You know, like, are you happy or are you not happy? Are you in pain or are you not in pain? Like, is there something wrong or not? So, because everything is ground. Yes. Well, that connects to a note as well that I have here, and that was um, uh, with when they did it's called AMS, acute Mediterranean syndrome, <laughs> and it pretty much just comes down to that Mediterranean people are more likely to like be very boisterous when they're in pain and, and admit that they're in pain. And one of the studies they did was between Italians and Irish people. Now, I don't think Irish people is the fairest example because I think Irish people are tough as fuck, right? <laughs> if you look it's at their rugby. rugby, Gaelic football, um, I mean, hurling, I mean, you don't tackle people, but you still got to be pretty damn tough to be able to hurl and everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, so is, do you feel like Irish people are both physically and emotionally tougher than thousands, maybe, or just pe most people in general? I'd say physically 100%. No offense to the football players. I know the World Cup literally just happened. Football <laughs> players, and especially if you look at the Belgian football players, you kick them in like the leg and they're falling on the ground. They're crying like babies. It's crazy. Irish rugby men, they play. They have no protection anywhere. They have, like, no ball protection, no shoulder protection, no nothing. They fight. They go hard on it. They get hit. They get blue eyes. Like, their ears are almost ripped off. They're grand. They just keep playing. Yeah. It's mad. Like, that difference is insane. But emotionally tough. So, like, physically tough, yeah. Irish are very physically tough. When it comes to the emotional side of things, I don't know. I think... I think... We have to look into the gender. Belgian women, we chit chat about everything. We can talk about emotions. We literally, we're super open. We talk about so many things. We're super well, like regression, like we've got gay marriage, abortion, like all these things. But like, Ireland was the first country in the world to have gay marriage. No. No? No, 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 no. Oh. Dutch. Yeah. Oh. Ireland is the first country in the world that allowed gay marriage by referendum. Ah, okay. That's what I'm confused. Yeah. Okay. And that only happened three years ago, something like that. No, longer, five years ago, maybe. But that's it. Oh. So no, so Ireland, so like, okay, let me come to that in a second. So I think like Belgian women, we talk about everything. Irish women, not at all. Like, 
I remember trying to talk to Irish women about like birth control because I think it's super important. It's like a topic that we need to talk about, like going on like your yearly check with like gynecologist, super important as a woman. Irish women don't do this. Like they don't go to the gynecologist unless they think something is wrong. Like if so, if you think something is wrong, it's too late, you know, like they don't talk. Belgian men, I think Belgian men don't really talk about emotions. I don't think Irish men do either. So I think that's like more of on a man scale. But like talking about like the progression, right? So Belgium, I grew up with abortion being legal. Obviously, like there's guidelines, right? Like you can't do it like after three months. Like there's all these legal guidelines. Let's not go into that. But like you have gay, gay marriage, abortion is legal. Like we've got birth control. Like we've got like all these like progressive things. Yeah. Ireland comes really from a very strong Catholic background. You're also an island, so there isn't a lot of crossover from like other cultures. So you do see that they're slower in adjusting or being slower in being open-minded to talk about these topics. And that really, for me, sometimes is difficult because I'm more used to talking about things, even like, uh, like my boyfriend's family, like I blare out stuff, you know, about religion, politics, like gay marriage, abortion, whatever. And it's like, ooh, okay. let's ignore that this was said and like talk about something different. So it's different. And what about progressive attitudes towards mental health? Because um, just from the languages that I speak and the, the amount I've traveled, um, I usually associate English speaking countries with um, being a little bit more progressive when it comes to mental health, but it's not the case. Not in, not in Ireland, no. Um, I think they're working towards it. There is, it's a, it's a conversation is being discussed more often, but like a small thing, for example, we bought a house, right? So we've got a mortgage insurance, but if one of us will commit suicide, too bad. It doesn't count. So the other party will have to continue paying. Where in Belgium, I mean, if you commit suicide, like, it's a horrible thing to happen. So like, of course, the other party shouldn't continue paying. It's small things like that. But I think there's still a huge improvement that Ireland can do in regards to mental health. Interesting. I don't know anything about that. I don't know what the rules are here in Spain or Canada in regards to that. Okay, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If any listeners know any information, please go to <laughs> withoutborders.fyi and send me a message or comment on this episode on whatever platform you're listening on. And oh, okay. it's such a dark topic, but I think it's so important to talk about mental health, you know, like it really is. Yeah. 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 But I think our generation is definitely starting to realize that a bit yeah. more and it's um, becoming less taboo. Exactly. Uh, now here, this is a question that I ask most people, well, everyone that's bilingual or multilingual on the show. Um, how, what Art, uh, or have you changed your identity to learn English? Because a lot of polyglots say that, that you have to kind of form a different part of your identity when learning a new language. Because, of course, language, culture, identity, they're all intertwined. Interesting. Um, I think my tone of voice is different, or at least people say that I speak different when I speak English than when I speak Flemish. So I think the tone of my voice, my intonation is different. Um, I don't know. That's a very interesting question. My gosh. 
I think I am like when I speak Italian, for example, when we go on holidays in Italy, I'm very proud because I know some Italians. So I like I'm I'll take like ownership to like speak in these in like the bakery or in the restaurant to like show that I can speak Italian. Yeah. Maybe in Belgium I wouldn't really take that direct role. Okay. Because everyone That's a really good example. Right? Um other than that, I think I do, I, I am proud, like, I'm proud to be Belgian. I really am. Like, and I think living in Ireland, I am super excited to eventually become Irish as well, to get, like, an Irish passport. Right now, I don't, but I'd love to have an Irish passport so I can also be part of elections and voting in the country so I can play my part in Ireland because I love living here and I want to be part of, like, the community here. But at the same time, I'll never give up my Belgian identity. Because in essence, I am still Belgian. Like, I grew up in Belgium. My roots are there. There's traditions like scented class that they don't celebrate here. So that's on the 6th of December. If we ever have kids, I want my kids to have scented class, get their shoe ready on the day before, and, and do, like, these cultural things. I think it's, like, so important. So did I change my identity? Maybe a little bit, but not really. Because I am really proud of who I am. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well... The traditions made me think of something else. Now, I don't want to spend too much time here because I would rather have um, a person of color on the show as well to talk about this. Uh, but how do you yeah. feel about Zwarte Piet, which is, uh, how do you say Zwarte Piet in English? Black Peter, <laughs> I guess. Black, Black Peter, yeah. For, for everyone that doesn't know, that's the <laughs> blackface um, when people in Belgium and, and uh, Holland. Uh, yeah, celebrates uh, to class. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's the same with the three kings. If you look at the Christian um, story after Jesus, you know, like the three kings came to visit Jesus in the crib, like there was also like a black holy man there. And I think I, I try and see the best in, in, in people and the best in stories. So I don't really want to say it's like a racist thing to bring a black man into the story because... There's two sides. One, yes, they do came from Spain or from Morocco. And like traditionally, like people are just darker there because yeah. that's where they're from. Are, were they enslaved to help? I hope not. If they are, I really do apologize for it. That's the argument okay. people always yeah. use, right? They say, oh, it brings up. But the thing is, the only people I've ever heard really hate on it are North Americans who don't know anything about the, about the Belgian culture or the Dutch culture and they say oh That's but it brings up painful me. memories of colonialism That's like, right and I'm like well, I've spoken to some black people in Belgium and they've never mentioned that to me they've never mentioned that it hurt them so exactly. I don't know I really don't think so either I think it's just because they came out of Spain and like Morocco because that like essentially Santa Claus doesn't just bring like toys are good it also brings like the the mandarins and oranges and where they come from they come from africa mm -hmm. you know so like it's logical that those people kind of bring them with and then the second thing is those men also jump through the chimneys and the chimneys are dark you know yes. so it like darkens like the the hands and unlike your skin because you're going through the chimney yeah. so i would like to see it in like the the positive side of the story i never thought about it as the Zwarte Pizza or like the Black Peters, like were slaves or helping Sinterklaas. Like I always, even as a child, I saw it as they were helping him. Yeah, definitely. So and I, I feel the same way. 
Yeah. And I mean, if any listeners on the show right now are people of color and you tell me and you tell me this hurts me, this tradition brings up painful memories, then I would be 100% on that side and say, okay, fuck this tradition. We need to stop it. But the fact is, I've only heard white North Americans tell me to stop having this tradition. Well, I'm not actually, I didn't even do the tradition, but I've just only heard them say you can't have this tradition. And that's not going to make anyone stop. Like, I don't. I don't care about what white North Americans say about this tradition, right? I want to hear about what the people yeah. say who it actually affects, right? The exactly. victims in this case. Yeah. It's like the same conversation. And this is like sending us again into like a rabbit hole. But like Santa Claus is a man, right? He's just been a man. He's always been a man for centuries. Do we need to make him like a woman just to be inclusive? I don't think so. It's a tradition. Don't play around with traditions. He's like a man. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, but it's a rabbit hole. It's literally a rabbit hole. Yeah. So, uh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, maybe maybe you'll come back on the show another time if uh, <laughs> we can discuss that more in depth with someone that might have a different view because I yeah. think it's always more interesting when people have different views on exactly. these subjects. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love a good conversation. So now we're we're coming up over an hour here. So the last thing I want to uh say before we finish this off is a quote by saint augustine because i know it's one of your favorite quotes and it's one of my favorite quotes and that's the world is a um, the world is a book and those who do not travel read only one page uh so why does this quote hit home for you it resonates for me because there's so much to the world there's there are so many different culture so many different stories that people can talk about there are so many different beautiful places there's gorgeous nature all around and belgium for example is only such a small country and it has gorgeous nature gorgeous cultures different dialects in in the country but it's not just belgium like there is so much more to the world and i really think that if you want to have a great vision of the world and you want to to talk to other people who have different opinions. You need to like go out there and, and explore and and travel in order to meet these people. Like I have made the most beautiful memories, not in Belgium, but in different parts of the world. Like I've traveled through America on my own when I was 21 years old. And I, I was there for three months, traveled to 20 states. And I went south, north, east, west. I met people from different races and it was the most humbling experience ever and oh i just absolutely loved it and i think you made my life so much richer so i really think that people like if you want and you don't have to be rich to travel like if you want to see more of the world and you want to explore travel like travel be open-minded put yourself in like different places where you never go and you'd be amazed Rosie, thank you for sharing that. I think that's a perfect place to end today's episode because that kind of correlates with all the themes of Without Borders. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you again. Thanks. And uh, for all the listeners, remember, you can always engage with the conversations at withoutborders.fyi. we got transcripts there and a bunch of interesting articles. And please share this. Uh, please consider becoming a paid subscriber at withoutborders.fyi because, uh, well, that's the only way I can keep this going. <laughs> and uh, I really hope you tune in next time.